Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 6th of November 2023. The podcast walk last week was incredibly wet. We set off and it's kind of drizzling a bit and it decided within a mile to bucket down on us. Yeah, it was the wettest one we've had so far. Seven people were walking, of which, you know, Neil and Alex were turning up. Thanks very much. Apologies, Webby and Tom, I made you come on it and you didn't have proper coats, so you got completely soaked. And we had to get through a number of difficult, well, terrain stroke floods, and it was uh, it was good. We aborted doing the last couple of miles of it. We cut the corner a bit because it was so wet and so miserable. But a really big hand to our editing team, who joined us for the walk, thinking, you know, we'll, we'll take a few pictures and get some social media stuff. And they ended up getting completely soaked. They had possibly not the right boots on, but they didn't at any point whinge or whine so big massive impressed big hand to you girls that was brilliant so sophie and amy rock hard and on that subject of floods stroke wet podcast walks i seamlessly move into the big topic of the week in terms of the what we're here for which is grain trading and that is wet 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 it is unbelievably wet waterlogged flooded clearly nothing's coming out of the ground nothing's going to go into the ground the stuff that's in the ground if it's underwater isn't going to survive it the implications of that is the 24 harvest wheat crop size so we now have already seen a 10 pound carry if you look at your may futures at 198 and you look at your nov futures at 208 there is already 10 pounds a ton difference in that price now that doesn't actually turn itself into x farm difference because by the time you get to the end of this trading season the x farm price creeps up towards the futures price whereas when you're trading in november it's a big discount to the futures price which is all to do with cost of storage and so on But the point is, there is a £10 difference in those two prices. If it goes up another £10 a tonne, then there's an actual definite carry for the farmer in not bothering to sell it. So if next year's crop is going to be small, it's going to clear or sort the problem for this year, which is an exportable surplus. So the underlying benefit of next year's problem is going to help 2023 crop. Now, the market itself is in a really boring kind of doesn't know where to go state. On the one hand, you've got very bullish new crop weather in Europe, especially UK. On the other hand, you've got kind of bearish aspects. The US crop of corn is coming in. The US corn prices are at contract lows and dragging along the bottom looking for a reason to go up. But nothing's there looking like it might even go down a bit further. And US wheat isn't much better than that. So wheat prices around the world, corn prices around the world are very depressed. And consequently, you then look specifically at the UK on the wheat market. There are no buyers of wheat this side of Christmas from consumption. It's done. There might be a bit going up north perhaps for December. But let's not forget the red tractor issue. We're not 
going to conform with European rules on the 31st of December unless something's sorted out. And consequently, ethanol from the UK won't be able to be traded abroad. So there's a big problem or big question mark over whether those sites are going to be working like crazy from January the 1st because Brexit people always get upset if I highlight some of the issues that have occurred. Well, fundamentally, we will not be able to sell any of our produce that hasn't got you know, red tractor is no longer approved is the point at this moment until we find a solution. And the red tractor, green tractor debate from last week has had some very favourable response from farm. It's certainly the hot topic. And I'll say now, this week's podcast is I'm in conversation with Tom Clark, who is the new or became the chair of the Cereals and Oilseed Committee for AHTB on the 1st of April. And we had a brilliant conversation. It was very robust. It is an incredibly complex issue at the moment and very political. Lots of people are getting very aerated about it. So I put him to the sword. I asked him lots of questions that AHTB are looking or are justifying their increase in levy spending and as I say it's kind of been caught up in the whole wave of excitement that's going on around at the moment so we really get into it and credit to him he didn't hold back he had a difficult job of keeping on subject he wanted to talk about the levy rise which I'm more than happy to give him airtime on and I'll say for the record I do think it is a worthy enough cause for farmers to invest in it still I think it would be a mistake to drop it so you know I will clearly say that but the podcast conversation we have as I say, is a bit robust. It was so good and so intense, we've had to cut it in half. It's it's a two-week session. You're not going to suffer an hour and a bit of me and him talking continuously. So halfway through, just as we're getting warmed up, we change. So you'll you'll see that in this week's, and you have to wait for the following week's exciting episode where probably I upset everybody again. Anyway, sorry, I digress from prices. So we've given you the background on Phoebe and the issues. There are no buyers this side of Christmas. There are, the consumers are kind of in a place where wheat is cheap relative to the last two years, but there is theoretically a surplus. As I've said, that surplus now has an outlet in the sense that new crop has got a problem. And the new crop, feed wheat crop, could be as low as 11 million tonnes if we don't get the last 20-odd percent in the ground. So it's a big, big issue, and it could really help this year's trading. But you can't pin all of your hopes on it. It's difficult. And if you need to move stuff pre-Christmas, it is not going to be a good price. I'm sorry. So to give you prices on feed wheat, and we're focusing on that as the kind of mainstay, November wheat, we will pay 174x because we've still got a bit of space in a store or two. We've moved some barley out. We can find a place for it to go. Lots of people can't. So 174x Nov, 175x Deck, 178x Jan, 180x Feb, 183 March, 190 May, massive jump. The tail end of the year, yeah, we're up for buying it. So 190 for May, 193 June, and 197 for July. Punchy, punchy prices. And if you compare July, if you can carry it to the end of July, back to the 174, that is a £23 a tonne value of your store. Your shed is worth that much money to you as a direct comparison. I think the trade has got more than enough wheat this side of Christmas and early into the new year. Anyway, feed barley is in the doldrums, trading at a £21 a tonne roughly discount to wheat. So put a Jan value on feed barley, it's going to be something like 157 Not very pretty. Malting barley, that's come off the board a diddy bit. The, the fob market got pretty hot last week. The buyers have gone away again, but next time they come in, there aren't many sellers. There is a complexity in the recovery on the Laureate. So Planet is the one they're trying to move mainly at the moment. 
There is going to be a continuing export from the UK and it's the best market. Although there are some domestic buyers creeping in where they are getting, you know, this is a shorts in the market, who need to replace barley that they've got sold because they've been rejected for whatever reason. That market is beginning to warm up and the, the molster is still kind of out there for one or two certain grades, but no one's really going crazy on it. The clear thing to us is low nitrogen distilling barley there isn't very much of that around so to put some rough values on it winter barley pre-christmas we can move a bit at 240x going into the spring you can add 15 quid to that for sort of march if you put spring barley pre-christmas 235 for brewing barley that'd be planet 185 nitrogen type post-christmas 250x low nitrogen spring barley 260x for april as a benchmark yeah that's that i don't see falling away that's one of the markets that's going to remain in in a healthy position because as we go through the season and the, and the molsters move on to new crop they'll start finding problems and there'll be rejections and replacements have to occur they are quite comfy at the moment but i think that it isn't all plain sailing for the molster Orseed rape, 335x. Ben isn't actually here, so I'm guessing that. It's not a particularly lively market at the moment, so we'll talk about that in a week when it turns exciting. Close your eyes and do nothing is our advice at the moment on that one. So that kind of covers the the market, I think. What have I missed? New crop. Oh, yeah, new crop. Good one. Clearly, the market is firm on new crop. I don't think anybody's particularly in the mind to sell it because everything's going wrong at the moment everything's flooded now you know winters do occur springs also occur and we all feel different on march the 15th when it's warm and dry and everything's growing and you think oh it doesn't look too bad maybe i have got a crop so you know what do you expect to happen in the autumn and the winter it's wet and it's cold so let's keep that perspective if your field is under three feet of water i'm talking out my backside i appreciate that but an awfully large amount of uk grain is grown on uplands out of the flooded area there's water laying on the field but it is not killing the whole crop there isn't enough of the crop planted yet but there is plenty of time so you can't absolutely say it's going to be a disaster at this point and with the mild weather we keep getting if you plant stuff late if it does in december or january get dry and you plant it late we don't have the cold winters now that that hold the thing back they go in the ground and they grow from day one so it quite often catches up so let's just keep our heads on with this one it's not going to go to the moon it's not got enough bad information about for that to happen yet however it is very encouraging from a price perspective to see the, the values going up so if you put november wheat at something like 195x and if you put therefore trying to second guess that would put may wheat at something like 205 that's pretty punchy i think very encouraging and above certain budget levels so let's all be cheerful about that shall we okay i think that's all i've got to say this week Big hand to the two girls. Wow, impressed, looking like drowned rats. Forgive me for that, but we didn't take your picture because we're kind. We'll take you on a summertime walk and have a much more glamorous one, perhaps. And hopefully next podcast walk, it'll be very dry and it'll have three weeks ahead of dry weather and everyone will get their wheat in again or get their spuds out or get their sugar beet out or whatever. There's a lot going on in this industry at the moment. A lot of angst, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of people you know setting their position the trade is very very strong the farmers as usual are diverse divergent and not sticking together and i think the core of what i'm finding is 
the need or the understanding of farmers to, instead of like write horrible tweets about each other or just have a pop at each other about how terrible Red Tractor is or, or HDB or NFU, in the end, the collective of, of all of those organisations is trying to do something to enhance the value of your grain. We need to be proud of the fact we have standards and we need to be proud of the way we go about our farming, but we equally need to get some form of a level playing field and not allow people to kind of brush over the reality of what, you know, an imported cargo superintendent saying this is the standard it's met, it's fine, actually encompasses some major, major holes in the lack of fairness in, com- in competition. The conversation with Tom Clark, I'm going to let you enjoy. As I say, we're just getting warmed up at the point I cut him off, but he does a very good job, and I think you're in for a good chairman for the next three years. So with that, have a great week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. As I said on the market report, this week's podcast is Tom Clark, chairman of the Serials Norseed Committee for the AHDB. It's a very robust conversation. We get cut off halfway through just as everything's getting going. I think you'll accept that I possibly pushed him a bit hard on one or two issues. It's something that I'm not a professional journalist. I probably asked the wrong questions, but I think he did a really good job. I was very impressed with his attitude and his energy. He was off to you know London that night, Scotland the next day, and Northern Ireland shortly after that. So I don't envy him all that travelling, but you know he's a young man, so he can get on with it. But yeah, I think it's a two-week special, if you like. You'll have to wait for the exciting bit of the second week. Enjoy. Okay, this week, hot on the topic of following Red Tractor, Green Tractor last week, I have got with me today, and I have got Tom Clark. So Tom, tell me how you'd prefer to be uh, introduced. Hi, thanks, Andrew. I am a farmer. Yeah, I'm a fourth-generation Fenland farmer near Ely on peat, which brings its own complications. But I've, yeah, I've been a farmer now 15 years. Mm-hmm. I wasn't always a farmer. I came back to the farm quite late in life. And since learning how to sort of find my feet, I'd never been brought up on the farm or anything. So I've spent a fair chunk of that 15 years learning how to be a farmer. Because it says accidental farmer, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it was never the plan. It was never the plan. It wasn't not the plan either. It's just I did other things and there was no pressure on my family to to take on the farm. So I I went off and had a career, several careers actually, doing other things. But then my dad got sick and I came back to the farm to help out and he sadly died. That was in 2009. So I'm 14 years actually, not quite 15 years yet. But uh, yeah, so I've been farming. I got more and more involved in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll maybe come on to some of the reasons why later on. But I've been on the sugar board for about seven years now. Mm-hmm. And then since April the 1st this year, I have been appointed by the government to be the uh, sector chairman for the Cereals and All Seeds always, Council. Always a good day, 1st of April. Yeah, yeah. well, all fools day, all fool me, Did, more fool me day. That was. <laughs> <laughs> Did someone phone you up and go, right, you're the new chairman? You went, yeah, right, OK, I know what day it is. Yeah, no, it was a very credible phone call, so I knew it was for and I did really feel that maybe that was, uh, yes, it didn't go unnoted, the dates, definitely. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, if one of your mates phones up, just to, just knowing that you've applied for it, just go, Mr. Clark, you, you are our new chairman. Oh, yay! Not really, April. Yeah, right, okay. So you've had six months of um, pure joy and an easy life then? I didn't apply for the job thinking it would be easy. It is, actually, I'm enjoying it. I think it's really important work, and I really feel I didn't do it. For myself, certainly not for the money, 
certainly not because I was bored farming, but actually because I think there's a really important job to do and it needs to be done better. Ah, no, we're on, we're on a subject that I'm going to planning on kind of getting into maybe a bit later, <laughs> that particular doing it for the money point over the weekend with some of the tweets in this industry. We'll come back to that, I think, because that's a, uh, some controversy that's going on at the moment. Because the topic is hot, isn't it? It's a not a happy subject matter that we're dealing with, with the red tractor especially. I mean, there's been a lot of, yes, it's, it, you're right, it's controversial at the moment, what with the red tractor, but also farmers' representatives and what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we're batting for, whose side we're on, what we're trying to achieve, where the farmers want us to try. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not that newly controversial. I think this has always been bubbling no, around. No, yeah, but at the moment, you, normally you haven't had a government stab you in the back, have you? That's the problem. There's the issue. And then, and then you have a guy on Country File, the OP, I think his name is, who came on and said, oh, we're supporting the pears and apple growers. Yeah, we're paying them less than it costs to produce. They're not putting new trees in, but that's, we're doing the best we can, let me assure you. That wasn't true, was it? It was an utter... It was very clearly and very obviously wrong that the price being paid for apples and pears from this country is too low relative to the amount of costs it actually takes to physically do it. I know this is not cereals, but when you've got a mentality of someone from the retail consortium coming on and saying, oh, we support farmers, and then clearly say, but we're not paying any more money and we appreciate it's not enough, it's almost like, okay, well, let's sod the UK, we'll just import them. And that mentality is kind of being backed up by government, is my point. You know, that really sh- isn't a surprise. Oh, don't watch Country File, by the way. I, I, I yeah. watched it for a long time. I, I think my dad used to watch the, the, the Sunday Farming Programme, and that was a long time ago. And I think Country File is, is more for people who live in the towns than uh, the country. Philip Richardson. That was the guy who used to watch. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just scare me senseless, even when he's on television. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. But go no, on. it shouldn't be a surprise, because, you know, farmers, we are... Literally and economically, we're the bottom of the food chain. Yep. You know, we are the economic plankton. It's farming's magic. You know, you, we basically harvest sunshine and turn it into stuff that's useful, mm-hmm. absorbing carbon. And then all of that value is then fed down the supply chain and made into other things and providing jobs and value all the way down through to the consumer. And obviously, farming really is the foundation of modern civilization you know before that we're all hunter gatherers and it's only because that some people specialize to become farmers that you get poets and engineers and <laughs> government and all the rest of it so farming is the bedrock of everything and is unable to capture the value of any of it so that economic plankton we always get all the costs passed down to us because we're where the buck stops if plankton doesn't exist the whole food chain doesn't exist exactly and i get your analogy i, I think that it is mankind evolved from when they first set in the same place and started planting things to you know a, allegedly a more civilized society the issues in the more recent millennia have been to do with lack of foresight on food security so if you go through your history books, there have been times in the Napoleonic War, you know, with the Corn Laws, the American supply being cut off, all of the various things in the past that have meant suddenly there isn't any way. World War Two, for yeah, victory, absolutely. we had to... So it's happened in the past. We are an island, and we're very, very lucky with our climate. We're always going to be able to produce stuff. But if you completely undermine the, the dynamic of production, so there's less production than consumption, you become reliant upon everybody else. That's right. And that has been that's the leave it to Tesco's philosophy. I think for lots of years, government has thought, well, we're a rich country. We really don't need to produce our own food because we can just buy it from wherever it's cheaper 
everywhere else in the world. But we have seen, if we haven't ever seen it before, and you're right, we have seen it before, but people forget the lessons. But mm-hmm. if you haven't ever seen it before, then the last, well, since 2016, really, we are having a new education. We're learning some new lessons, not least last year with the Ukraine thing. So when you are an island which can't feed itself, and a population much bigger than we can, we can feed ourselves, you are reliant on foreign regimes, foreign climates, farmers from a different land to feed you so we, we're 60 percent self-sufficient in this country it means we can make our own breakfast and, and lunch but we're importing our dinner every day okay so so you, you know you, you have a community that's not understood that is providing a service that is not earning enough money i mean there, there have been times when there has been enough money earned and there have been times and still you know recent times due to the ukraine war there have been a good year or two behind us depending on when you sold it so things aren't terrible right now it's not about right now this is about foresight forward thinking dynamic of how we're going to compete and as i see it right now things are fine prices aren't as much as people want but they're there or thereabouts it's not a terrible disaster however we are in a very very just okay place with a future that looks particularly grim because of this government kind of allowing others to compete without anything impeding them. But interestingly, the farming community, there was a survey done. I've done a bit of research for a change this week. <laughs> what the farmers wanted from the AHDB and the seven people that answered. <laughs> no, the 12 people. That, number one uh, recommended list. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll start on that. Is the recommended list, it's a fabulous product that gives the best yield the thing that farmers can grow who actually leads the varietal choice do farmers lead that or do the industry does the trade lead that you're coming on to the hdb and actually it leads on nicely to what we're talking about i've said you know farmers are at the bottom of the food chain and we do get exploited by all these you know these blue whales if we're plankton you know Mm. that they are out there and the only way that farmers can hold their own and not become exploited is by acting together by cooperating and the AHDB is an attempt set up by the government to try and level that playing field somewhat and the levy which is raised on every ton of grain sold in the UK for cereals and all seeds is used for the greater good so it's to the aim of it is to make farming help farming help British farmers and their businesses do better yeah do better than they otherwise would so some of the things we do are aimed at that and the recommended list is definitely the probably the most known about one and that is about testing these varieties that come up and seeing what they do. So that is done scientifically and it produces information which farmers can use to choose their varieties. Obviously, a lot of breeders count on the recommended list to get their varieties, which they spend a lot of money putting together and want to get them onto the list. But not all of them get onto the list. And one of the things we've been reviewing the last year is how the recommended list works and mm-hmm. if it's providing to farmers what they actually need from it. Mm. I mean, so, on, on that subject, I mean, we're going to get to the stony subject of levy in a minute because we, we, we both know that the yeah. timing of that is possibly why this conversation is occurring. But the recommended list, in the end, the gene pool of at John Innes Institute has a phenomenal, as the defined gene of the wheat plant. And it's, you know, influenced by a miller who says, I want gluten, I want gluten, I want gluten, I want gluten. And in the end, you, we end up going, oh, that's good, that's what the customer wants, let's keep going in that direction. We've ended up with a whole load of obesity and gluten intolerance, and there's a question mark or two coming through saying, hang on a minute, should we have gone in that direction just because the miller wants a stronger gluten all the time to make easy bread or whatever he's doing? Has there been someone saying, hang on a minute, was that the right course are we actually is anyone looking at gut health is anyone looking who's going in the opposite direction when someone's pressing for a variety on the recommended list which is an independent list 
you see my point it's got the farmers are reacting to the demand of the end of the industry it's their list the farmers list the farmers just say big yield big yield most money that's their key goal and it's got a kind of slant in the direction of a particular commodity that the end user wants now there's massive logic in that we all want to grow for a particular market but who's the dog and who's the tail and at what point does it switch over? Up until recent times, we've been in uh, a surplus production and therefore you've got to aim at a market that's, that's going to be good for you. It's changing, isn't it? So that list, who influences what is aimed at, is, is a question I would ask. Is AHDB strong enough in asking the question, is, are we going in the right direction with that variety? Should we go in another one? That's something. Well, you think you've seen in recent years how... I mean, I think it always used to be farmers selecting varieties for the yield and any premium, yeah? Mm-hmm. So the way the recommended list is set up at the moment, it's done in scientific trials, very small plots, not really in a sort of real-life farming scenario with a maximum inputs and high fungicide program and all the rest of it to reveal the genetic potential of mm-hmm. those varieties that are listed. And the ones that make the cut are listed in and sort of ranked. But you've seen over recent years how things like the untreated yield have become much more important to farmers mm. because actually it isn't all about yield and how much you can get off something if you no, throw about, the kitchen it's sink at it. Yeah, it's about margin. Mm. And so you've seen that shift. And I think you are going to see from, as I say, we've been conducting a review of the recommended list the last year. When I say we, I mean AHDB. Mm-hmm. And what we want it to be able to do is be more relevant, more practical. So a farmer can look at that list and see what would work best on their soil type, what would work best in their farming system if they're regen, you know, direct driller, or if they're conventional, with different weather, climates, and for different markets, and with more realistic inputs. I mean, we're trying to use less fungicides, less nitrogen. What are the best varieties? Does it change the order of yield? If you're growing something with, you know, a third of the nitrogen and so half of the fungicide program. Independent practical research. That's, I mean, that was number two on the, on, after the recommendation. It was independent, you know, market reports, independent market research, which is what, you know, th- th- that's great news. That's exactly what people want from you. And that, at this precise moment, you know, this, the recent floods meant that there wasn't anywhere near the usual amount of soil runoff because people had cover crops. So clearly, something very, very good has come out of the sustainable farming programme. That there were roots in the ground which held the soil, which stopped it running up onto the roads. Yes, there were floods, didn't stop that, but it probably assisted a bit, didn't it? So research, practical research, is money well spent. That's what your members want from you. That's right. The so our budget, the last time we, we raised our levy was 2011. And in that year, we spent £2.5 million that year in independent research. That's outside of the fungicide trials, which we always do, and the recommended list, which we always do. Independent research into problems that farmers are facing that we can find the answers to. This year, it's £600,000. That's a 75% cut in the amount of research we conduct. That's because? That's because we we are running on a flat budget. So we raise a per tonne, a pence per tonne levy. It's 46p, the grower pays, uh, per tonne of grain sold and that has been flat since uh, 2011 which produces on an average harvest obviously the harvest changes every year as all farmers like myself know you you know you get what you're given in terms of the weather but on an average harvest it's 10 to 11 million pounds a year Mm -hmm. 10 to 11 million pounds a year in 2011 bought a lot more than 10 to 11 million pounds a year does Mm -hmm. in 2023-24 
to preserve the things that you know are really important to the industry, like the independent market information, but also the recommended list of fungicide trials, we've cut back. I compare this to chocolate bars, you know. So the chocolate bar companies are terrified of putting the price up, yeah, because they think yep. people will complain. So instead of putting the price up, they shrink the bar, they shrink the bar, they shrink the bar, and and you know. Everyone says, oh, it's 30p for a Mars bar, that's fine, it's been 30p for... But actually, you're getting less. Mm-hmm. You're getting less. And I'm at the point where, actually, I think it was Toblerone. They took this to a ridiculous degree, and they made the gaps between their triangles so big that there was a Toblerone they brought up which looked like a bicycle rack. <laughs> <laughs> and the consumer said, stop, this is not a Toblerone. This is no one wants to buy this. Just put the price up. And we'll have a proper Toblerone, yeah? Yeah, that's good. And, and that is the point we're at with the AHDB, because you can, you can cut back and cut back, like on this research, as much as you like, and not put the price up because you're scared of doing that. But at the end, you end up cutting back so much that the product isn't doing its job it's meant to do. Yeah. And that's why I'm asking for this 12p per tonne levy rise. Our ministers will decide, but we're consulting with growers in the industry now. That 12p a tonne, will provide an extra roughly three million pounds a year. So we'll mm-hmm. go from about 10, 11 million pounds a year to uh, 13, 14 million pounds a year on an average harvest. And, mm-hmm. and we can talk about whether that average is going to drop because of various things that are happening. But uh, out of that money, we can improve the services, like the recommended list, some of the improvements I've talked about there, making it more relevant, giving farmers practical tools to help them farm in what is a really difficult environment, like you say, with competing with imports produced to standards which would be illegal here we've got i mean it's undeniable that the climate is different now you can't farm by the calendar like my grandfather maybe used to be able to do and you know coping with 30 degree temperatures in in september and october the challenges from climate are only going to get worse and we need farming is going to have to adapt to that and change and i would like us to be able to take some of that risk to do the experiments to find out what works and that's going to take some money and some research and to do it not in a way that produces a scientific paper, which, you know, people can trawl our website and find and read, but actually convert it into something practical that the farmers can understand and, and, and use and make a difference in their businesses. Well, how do you get that? I mean, th- th- listen, it's a 26% increase, but you haven't had an increase since 2011, did That's you? right, yeah. And the trade is also getting a, an increase. Similar, That's right. It's a minimal amount that the trade pays. 83% of your income comes from growers, 17% from the industry and the industry collects the, the levy for you. But I think the argument you're making is absolutely right. The timing is never right because no one ever wants to spend any more money. You've had the spud boys who've kicked into touch, which, you know, oh, what's it do for me? I don't know. They would miss the, the recommended list. They would actually miss independent practical research that you're doing. And if you've got someone looking at climate, there's going to be definitely need to be some form of, if you can, you know, start growing rice because of all the floods, I don't know. But, <laughs> but whatever, there's, you know, this, these are big issues that didn't, you're right, affect farming in the past and Um, we've never been more exposed to those risks no no absolutely we're in a position of well and a a very large population all expecting their food to be user-friendly nice lovely green cuddly stuff whilst buying the cheapest stuff they come at because the supermarket is allowed to kind of just link all of them together and the red tractor doesn't actually mean anything really to a consumer it's a red tractor Right, okay, so a tractor's a British thing, okay, okay, okay. And you walk past that and there's, you know, two for one in the end of the aisle of Polish chicken, which is full of, you know, the third biggest user of antibiotics. And there they are piling their chicken into this country and people are happily buying it, saying, oh, I can't buy a British farmer's moaning. 
well, okay, they've got a higher mortality rate. I don't know, they haven't got so much disease because they've shoved them full of antibiotics, which is going to create immunity in your household, mate. Not advertised, nothing on there saying anything that makes the consumer... You're kind of in a situation where your suppliers, the people who are actually paying the levy, are going to go, what do I get for it? I'm feeling criticised, I'm feeling underpaid... How do you convince them that not only is it the right thing to do at a difficult time, please don't kick us into touch like you did with the spuds. That, that's clearly got to be on your mind. Uh, people, no, so the, the point of the levy is everybody pays because everybody can benefit. If you don't feel you're benefiting from the levy, now that's partly HDB's fault. We are getting better. We are going to get better at communicating what we do because I think it's been a real blind spot for us a lot of the stuff that hdb does i mean maybe some people who've already been listening to this don't even realize the recommended list of variety trials are paid for by the levy you know a lot of people get advice from their agronomists about how much they can cut back their fungicide sprays have no idea that that work and the evidence behind that has been paid for by the hdb people might listen to podcasts about grain prices and and where prices are going to go and they don't realize that a lot of that information about supply and demand and the commentary on prices and world dynamics is done by the HDB. So we underpin an awful lot of stuff. I'm not saying people take it for granted because I'm not begging for anything, any special understanding, but a lot of what we do work is under the radar. We need to be better at and actually some of it gets recycled by people who are selling it and repackaged. So a lot of the research we do is taken as, as a base and then changed or uh, adapted or tweaked and then sold back to farmers who are very happy to pay quite high prices for that advice and information those farmers are paying twice they've paid for a lot of that from the levy yeah look you're risk averse as ahcb have not have been afraid to shout to go nope you know, spit out and go. I wrong. completely agree. So you're, you're risk averse as a business, and therefore your message isn't getting across. And you, you send a, a, a thing out to farmers saying, "Right, what do you want? I'll recommend a list. I want independent stuff." And then the, the third one was work across supply chains. Work across supply chains. What does that mean? Oh, we would like to explore whether we can export wheat to North Africa or to China. Do you know what? Cut that budget. Forget it. It's a waste of your time. We're not going to produce enough for a surplus. We can't compete. Forget it waste of money have you got people sitting in your organization like working for the council who are not efficient not doing anything hiding have you done i know there's been a big look at how much is spent because you've got you had the period where the spud boys went off but is there wasted money within there can you fine-tune that money into really aggressive punching people in the face and saying oi if you buy that product it is totally inferior and you're expecting us to do this, and yet you're buying that. Can you get more aggressive? Can you make a much punchier point? So when I, when I applied for the job, which I'm... No, there's not you personally. No, no, I mean, but AHTB, I'm telling, let's no, be clear. I'm telling you, when I applied for the job, one of the things I said in my interview was the HTB needs to be much more confident, have more confidence. We've been terrified of our own shadow, terrified of upsetting the government, because the government is basically what sets the legal framework for us to operate in. Terrified of provoking levy payers to have a ballot and abolish us. Actually, that's no, there's no way to be. Look, I believe the HDB can do this, can provide value back to levy payers' businesses, and it better get on with it. You know, And the, as I said, the, the need has never been more. And so we need to get out there and do it. But I, I have, I've realised, through getting involved for the last year and a bit, 
that you can't do that on ever increasing resources. Sometimes less is less. And actually, you're not getting value for what you're paying already. And therefore, it can be said, well, what does the HDB do? Unless it's properly resourced, you're not going to get so, totally any agree. value. You, you're pushing against open door. I agree. Yeah. I think the farmers should pay more money for this product. I really do. But... I think that you should refocus some of your energies on some other areas. I'll give you. A so we so we spend about seventeen p of that forty six p that grows on the recommended list. Mm-hmm. About another nineteen pence on the independent research, and let me just find the information. <laughs> so it's thirty six p. This work across the supply chain, which uh, you reference, is only about ten p of that, and it's not really export market. Driven. I mean, I think the other sectors in the HDB, the, the red meat and the dairy and the pork sectors, are, are much more focused on reputation and export markets. I think, like you say, cereal is a world market. It's a commodity product. Actually, there's not a lot of point spending a lot of money doing that. What we can do is provide market access, make sure that we're monitoring contaminants, looking at um, MRLs, um, residual levels of pesticides or contaminants in in the grain and uh, testing and that sort of thing just to make sure that we are providing access to those markets if we have an exportable surplus right. or if there are niches where we're like malting barley or whatever that we're exporting anyway but the overwhelming focus of what we do has and, and has increasingly become things like the recommended list the independent product t- testing which is the uh, fungicide trials and things like that, the market information and some research. But that research is, is much less than that. So ever. is there a chance someone could say, right, OK, the new 2023, the new dawn is we've got the list. OK, maybe we spend a bit less money on that and a bit less money on this. Let's look at what our real issue is, which is we've got a government that doesn't understand our industry, quite happy to sell us down the river for thruppence, tell us that you've got to do this, sustainability, environmental you name it, animal welfare, all of the things that cost, 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 and then import something. I keep bringing, coming back to this point. Is there anyone who is going to focus on really lobbying government? Is AHDB allowed to? Or no, do we're fun? not. So, that, I mean, you, that is in our founding laws. You can't you know, say DEFRA, you've got that wrong. We are not permitted to lobby government. HDB. So what we and you know that is the job for the NFU or any other farming unions out there. So HDB at no point can say the government have just told us that they will not in any way undermine UK farming produce, and then they've done a deal to effectively do that. You're not allowed to say that was completely untrue. Is that lobbying or is that what we what we can do and what we have done is provide evidence and information and analysis of what some of these trade deals might mean to who to defra to defra and well publicly available as well but to defra as well so a lot of what we do as well is farm bench which is a benchmarking tool and have arable business groups where groups of farmers come together and compare their costs so we have models which replicate what what farmers costs are Mm -hmm. and that information is fed into government and helps inform their policy making so what we can do is supply this independent evidence. Okay. What we can't do is have a view and tell government they're wrong. That's not what we're there to do. That's the role of any farming unions and for farmers themselves to do. What our job is to do is to is to provide the things that won't be provided otherwise, but also be that independent, non-commercial uh, source of okay, so facts so and if figures. You, if you're not sending anything to DEFRA, are you allowed to write to the people who pay you your money, uh, the farmers, and say... We've supplied the government with this information to say that, in fact, to grow wheat, it largely costs this much money, and the price we recognise is lower than that, and, in fact, we have informed government that 
there's not enough money in there for that product. Because my point is, you've got this information, you've told DEFRA, DEFRA has someone like Boris Johnson in charge, who's just going to ignore it anyway. But, you know, can you not, it's not lobbying government to turn around to all your members and saying you're being screwed, is it? Is that uh, too outspoken for HDB? I don't think that is the role for HDB, to tell people they're being screwed. I think we can <laughs> supply the evidence and other people can point out that evidence. Is, you, uh, my point is waving it to the farming community so they get a little bit whipped into a slight frenzy. So you're saying we should help. be better at communicating what we do do and, and sharing our little, analysis and yeah. making sure farmers know that this work has been done and, and actually, yeah. yes, then that is definitely in our wheelhouse as the phrase. Right, okay. <laughs> Are you enjoying this podcast? Yes. I'm, I'm quite enjoying this now. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting into it. So I've got another question, right? This Good is not, not about government. Are you happy we've covered the levy? Because that's the tough one I'm going to keep coming back to that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm saying to you, I agree with you. I think the Farm, money needs to be... Farmers need someone like the HDB to be on our side, to have independent resources that are free from commercial interests and representing everybody. Yeah. And it's totally. the only way that economic plankton can ever level the playing field. And that's what we're here to do. We are limited constrained because we're set up by government and what we do is basically collect a tax off of zero yeah. growers and we have to make sure we're spending it in ways that everybody can benefit this to is, justify the this fact that really is yeah I, I could not agree more without your information you're right this industry is already being controlled there are major corporations much bigger than you hmm? who influence Everybody. You talk about agronomists, lot, most of those agronomists, lots of those agronomists are owned by the big boys and they don't tell people to cut their rates. They keep them as high as they possibly can because it means a bigger margin to them. So you independent agronomists, absolutely. But the guys you got out there, everybody, every farmer's friend, why are, they, why are there agronomists? Why aren't farmers doing their own agronomy? That's a good question. Well, a lot of farmers do do their own agronomy. A lot of farmers have independent agronomists. I'm one of them. Good. You know, I can't answer that question on behalf of every farmer nope. as to why they want they want to have packaged advice. I just would ask, you know, if you were going, to, if you were sick and you went to a doctor's, would you go to a doctor that was selling pills, selling that, yeah, certain medicines, or get on commission might. for medicines as well? I, I would. And in, and in countries like France, for example, it's illegal to have. Uh, it's against the law to have packaged advice for agronomy. So, you know, that's again, that's out with my my HDB remit to comment on, but I've given you a personal view there. Thank you. Yep, I got that. <laughs> okay, at this point, we're going to cut in, and that's the end of this week's podcast recording. Yeah, you can see we're just getting into it. So till next week, you'll have to wait for the next exciting episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich. 